Hey everybody, Jason here. Just want to do a quick shout out to Goblin's Henchman for a job well done. Goblin's Henchman recently received an email from Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson Games complimenting the hex flowers that Goblin Henchman does. It said, thanks for doing original work. It's not every day that a new idea comes along. Again, well-deserved. Congratulations, my friend. Everybody, if you haven't checked out Goblin Henchman stuff, go do that. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. So check it out. And on with the show. What pops up a beer or a cold libation? I can tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from Brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start up with some talking and some moody clips and popcorn fighting fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on. Contest and of course you know it's all about games. That's a slogan. Let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today, I've got a mailbag episode. I'm going to announce a new contest. I was going to talk more about Suppressive Fire, but judging from the calls we've received so far and my anticipation of responses to the calls so far, I think I'll get at least one more episode out of Suppressive Fire. So I'll talk more my ideas about it then. I do, just as a hint, really like what Delta Force does. You're going to hear Delta Force mentioned during Sam's call. Delta Force is a, kind of a continuation of the ideas that we had behind the lines. And behind the lines, of course, was a World War II game back in the day. But, you know, again, that's going to be yet for another episode from me. But we have some great calls this episode. We have calls from Ricardo, David, Carl, and Sam. So I'm looking forward to that. I do have other calls that I'm not playing this episode. This episode is specifically going to be the suppressive fire topic. And then I'm going to answer the calls a little bit. And then after that, Sam is going to tell us how he fell out of love with Palladium's Recon. And I'll let that close the show out. Because I don't want this to be too, too long of an episode. I'm trying not to, you know, put out hour-long episodes every time. But first, we have a new contest. Before we get to the calls, let's talk about our May contest. Joe, over at the Decahedron RPG podcast, which I highly recommend, has been asking me for a while now about doing a military-themed contest, the idea of everybody's favorite military movie. And I'm going to expand that a little bit to your favorite military-themed movie or a TV show or book. I mean, it could be a play, an opera, I don't know, radio show. But 
pick your favorite military-themed media, comic book maybe, maybe it's the NOM, right, that Marvel Comics used to do. But pick whatever that is and tie it in with an RPG for me. So give me a call, let me know what your favorite military-themed thing is, and then kind of how you would tie that in with an RPG. Or if you don't think it's appropriate to play modern military RPGs, I, you know, that's fine. If you want to pick something that's not modern military, if you want to pick ancient military, that's okay too. So maybe you're going to tie in, you, you know, 300, which obviously is <laughs> pretty fantastical. 300's not any kind of realistic military thing at all. But maybe you want to tie into that in, you know, the area, the, the Spartans and the ancient Greeks, right? So you, you pick... I, I don't care what era it is. It doesn't have to be modern military era. It could be military of any time frame. But pick your favorite military media portrayal, be it a movie, book, whatever, and tie it in with an RPG you'd use to run that. Or, you know, be it a convention or a home game or whatever. And if you've already done that, then maybe talk about that. Today is the 28th of April. I'm going to give you four weeks to get me the your entry in. So you have until the 26th of May, end of the day, 26th of May, whatever that is in your time zone, to get the entries in. And I'll put out a weekly reminder of this. All the ways to enter are in the show notes. There are a bunch of ways to enter. You can go to the Spotify website for this podcast. You can go to... Anchor and send me a DM on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you do those latter two things, you can attach a voicemail to, or voice message to that, and I can play it on the air. You can call into, I have a SpeakPipe account anywhere in the world. You can call into that SpeakPipe account for free. I also have a voicemail, Google Voice account you can call into, but if you're outside the U.S., I think you'll get charged for that. You'll get long distance charges. But there are a number of different ways you can reach out to me. Like I say, they're all in the show notes. So call in, let me know your favorite military media of whatever era and what game you use to run that, you know, or if you've already done it, talk about that. So I look forward to everybody's calls. Now I've got a bunch of really cool calls here that are military related and I want to get to them now. Let's open up that mailbag. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Uh, hey, Jason. Ricardo here. Um, I, I work about, but I don't usually post anything. Uh, so last uh, podcast, you, you guys were discussing suppressive fire in more modern games, and uh, I, it immediately came to mind a game called World War II Operation World War II Operation White Box, which is I'm pretty sure it's free the PDF, and it's uh, completely compatible with uh, Swords and Wizardry White Box, thus the name, and 
there are some it has some gr- pretty granular rules for suppressive fire but i think they work very well uh i'm going to read the next uh, next from the from the pdf here and these rules like the 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 there's a, a box here that says basically use as much as this as you want or you can just you know say your machine gun goes brap and you make an attack roll at plus 4 to hit or something um but I think the rules are pretty good, and I'm gonna send an, uh, another message with the with the paragraph here. So this game has both burst fire, which is a basic plus two to hit, and then it has suppressive fire. And since it's supposed to be used with the map, uh, you know, small scale, because you take control of one character in a squad, uh, the, you're supposed to make a, a cone of fire that is about 15 to 20 degrees wide, as it says here. So uh, reading from from the PDF, it says, the first round of suppressive fire is treated as a burst fire attack, plus two to hit against a single opponent as the gunner gets his bearings. On each successive round of suppressive fire, anyone caught in the line of fire, as determined by the referee, is automatically struck by zero to three bullets. So you roll 1d6, one is zero bullets, two to three is one, 45 is two, and six is three bullets. If a target takes cover, such as in a foxhole or behind the brick wall, the attacker must be prepared to continue suppressive fire on that area to receive the benefits of suppressive fire on subsequent rounds. So this means that people need to keep moving or else they will, on the next round, supposedly uh, get hit with bullets, right? So characters pinned down by this type of suppressive fire may need to find an alternate method of taking out their attacker by stealth, flanking maneuvers, grenades, armored vehicles, artillery strikes, etc. It makes suppressive fire very important, but further down they discuss how it really churns through ammunition as well. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so just just to finish uh, with the whole um, Operation White Box suppressive fire thing, there are some disadvantages to like doing suppressive fire with uh, regular weapons. So let's say an SMG like the the Thompson um, or the MP40 or something of the sort, because you can only move half your movement while doing suppressive fire. You completely run out of bullets on one round, so you need to reload on the next one, and you know it makes you very uh, susceptible. Then this is where like the classes, the game has some classes like combat medic and the machine gunner come in because the machine gunner, even if his weapon malfunctions, which is something that is more uh, likely to happen when you are doing suppressive fire, if you have someone or even if themselves have like an extra barrel that they can change on an MG42 or something, like you don't have to, you, you don't lose the gun basically, because if your weapon malfunctions, you need to repair it, quote unquote. Um, so it, it, suppressive fire is very it's very strong in this game, but it also makes you very susceptible because to use the machine gun, you have to be stationary. And if you get like someone throws a grenade at you or something, you're going to have a bad time. So it's uh, it, it really brings out the tactics in the game where you're supposed to cover for people that move faster and can flank and everything. Uh, sorry, just, just to correct a small mistake. I said previously that... If you stay in in cover while you're being suppressed, the next round you're gonna get hit. That's not how it works. Like the 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 person that is doing the suppressive fire can choose to keep suppressing you, and if you try to move and move out of cover, then you get the automatic zero to three bullets. Um, but if they want to change targets, they'll have to go through the burst fire phase again, which means that you'll have a chance to escape. Carter, thank you so much for that. 
so I played Operation White Box first back in 2017, I think. I believe that's right. And then I also got to play, a, although we didn't get very far as any one session, a Vietnam hack of Operation... Actually, it was a Kong Skull Island hack <laughs> that Tony Mazza did, but we only did one session of that. Um, but Operation White Box has some interesting ideas, and some of the things you bring up there are you know, things I'd like to see in the, the rules. You know, I think you do need to allow for suppressive fire from non-automatic weapons. But, you know, the good thing about Operation White Box there is they go empty each round, so you have to reload. So, you know, if you have two people with Thompsons there, right, so one can fire, and then the next round while they're reloading, the next one can fire, that can work. Or you could even do it with you know, bolt action rifles with handguns, it wouldn't be as effective. And, and it should, the rules should reflect it not being as effective, but you can definitely pin somebody down with non-automatic weapons, you know, in real life, there's no question about that. Um, the, the other thing that's interesting in there, you talk about like the change in the barrel out and, and the way of using that machine gun to help with maneuvering and, 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 you know, squad maneuvers and things like that. And, you know, now, mind you, my military experience is well dated now. I mean, I've been out for over 20 years now. But, like, when we would do something like an assault, like a sold trench line, something like that, the machine guns, even the... So, so I was in a light infantry company when I was in 7th ID and back over Fort Ord. And the... What you would do is you would pull the M60s out and they would go up to a support fire position and overlooking that trench line. So you wouldn't assault the trench with the M60s, with your general purpose machine guns. Um, you, the, 240, the 249s would be part of the assault, but the M60s wouldn't. And the M60s would get set up and they'd set them up on their tripods, you know, for and, and do that. But they'd be in supporting fire. The... 249 gunners, we, we did have spare barrels for the 249s that they could carry with them. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting that white box, as simple as it is, you think of Swords and Wizardry based on OD&D is going to be a really simple rule set, but it actually works pretty well. And for a military game based on OSR principles, I, I think Operation White Box does a really good job. Um, I don't know that it's what I would pick to run those kind of games, but I do appreciate the effort put into it. Um, I mentioned, I think I mentioned earlier, Behind Enemy Lines and like Delta Force or some of these other games, I think is probably what I would defer to. Although it depends what you're doing, because unlike Sam, who we're going to hear later, I actually like Palladium's Recon for some things. But I think it depends on the group and what kind of game you're trying to run. But I really appreciate that call, Carter. Thank you very much. And now we're going to move on to our next call. Hey, Jason, this is Carl, Jason Mason, Carl calling. And I don't know, suppressive fire and player losing player agency. I mean, I, I feel like the players get what they sign up for. They got, they know the rules, they know what's going on. And sometimes even like, you know, Marine Recon Extraordinaire, Staff Sergeant Steven Chernov, when you get shot and hit and take some damage, you might have to take a pause and... I think the coolness under fire mechanic for um, Twilight 2000 works really well to 
explain that. You know, you roll your dice, you get a, you gotta get a six or a better. Hey, Chernov has an A, coolness under fire, so you gotta roll 50% chance that he'll kind of take a pause for a round and, and hunker down, or he'll, uh, he'll keep going. And you know what? Once in a while, he will have to hunker down. And I think the players are cool with that. And uh, I don't know if I buy the modifier thing, because sometimes, I mean, even if you think of the fiction or the genre, I mean, think of Pri Saving Private Ryan. Hey, there's some of the greenhorns that will kind of lose it. And while their fellows are being killed, they kind of sit back and can't do anything. They lose it, you know, but uh, even the, the main characters got to take a pause one, now and again. So I think it works with the genre and the fiction. And I, I think it's okay. I don't know if I buy the modifier thing. That's my opinion. And, uh, well, you better accept it or I don't know what I'll do. So this is an interesting call. Carl, of course, as the Jamologist presents podcast, there's a link in the show notes. Go check that out. He's talking about a character in his Twilight 2000 game. And Twilight 2000 is kind of the game, the discussion of that, and the old Twilight 2000, Merc 2000, is kind of what got this ball rolling a while back, these discussions. You're not wrong in real life. So this is secondhand, you know, experience. But when I was in the Army, and even after I got out of the Army, when I was at Washington State, I was really good buddies with a guy that jumped into Panama with 75th Range Regiment. And he, and again, this is hearsay, but I don't doubt him for a minute because this isn't like bravado. This is, we, we're, we're good friends and I don't doubt what he told me, but he said that they did have, when, when they jumped in to Panama, they did have a couple, one or two guys, I forget the number now, but you know, newer guys in in the bat that did freeze up and he said they didn't give they after it was done you know they froze up they they wouldn't get up when they hollered at them and after the operation they did not get their CIBs now again I can't verify that I haven't seen their you know their records but so the a CIB is a combat infantryman's badge and if if you're infantry and you go into combat in the army you'll you get your cib and so to not award that is a you know pretty big deal um now whether that's apocryphal or not i again i i can't confirm you know for certain but i don't doubt you know that that he believed that happened and being an nco in the unit i kind of think he probably knows what he's talking about uh, a lot of things happen behind the fence with a range of battalions, especially back in the day, that you know may or may not get got out. So, kind of speaking of that, I've got a link to a blog post by a former ranger that did go into Panama. He, this is not my buddy's post. That he actually, this guy was in third bat, but um, this is from Wayne, Ranger Winnie's blog, and it's a interesting discussion his experience and particularly his experience in Panama. And it's kind of touching. It's kind of, you know, you read through it and, you, you know, you, we get these kids and we send them in training and send them out to fight. And so it's, you know, 
Anyway, go read the blog post. I, I, I think they're, it's definitely interesting. And he actually does talk about somebody that's kind of like freezing up, like what Carl was talking about. But the question isn't whether it's realistic, is in real world and a simulationist point. The question is, is it fun in the game? And if your group is down for the simulation thing, then cool. I got no issue with it if that's the way we're playing. But a lot of people don't want to lose that player agency. A lot of people want to be able to do the movie heroic cinematic thing. And I think that's where the modifiers come in. Because by telling them, nope, you're frozen, you, you can't go forward, you can't do this, we've gone from, you, you know, effectively, you're telling Chernoff what he's feeling and what he's thinking. And that's one of the things, at least in, in modern role-playing lingo, storytelling games and whatnot, we get to the point where you're not supposed to tell players what their characters are thinking or feeling, you're supposed to tell them what they're experiencing, right? And it crosses the line there. Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's going to depend on your group and the kind of game you're playing. But I think that's a session zero discussion. I think that's a pre-game discussion before you start the campaign to say, listen, this is the way the suppressive fire rules work in this game. You will lose agency if you fail this role or whatever. Then you're going to hunker down and you're not going to be able to, you know, run forward, charge the machine gun nests directly. And make sure the players know that ahead of time, because that's going to be an issue for some groups and some players. Again, I'm not saying one is right, one is wrong, but I think it depends on the kind of game you want to play, right? It depends what you're simulating. Are we simulating real life? Are we simulating, you know, something like Private Ryan? Or are we simulating the Dirty Dozen? Because they're two different kinds of games. Um, and, and so that's what we got to figure out what we're doing, but it, it is an interesting call. And I think if you do lean more towards simulationist play, there's no problem with that and forcing that. But I think a lot of people aren't into that. And we kind of heard a little bit of that maybe with Ricardo's call and the next caller, David is a first time caller. I really appreciate that. I love first time callers. And I think he also kind of goes against you, Carl. So hopefully you don't do anything mean against David um, with, with, with that kind of vague threat there at the end of your call. Um, I know you were kind of kidding there, but I'm going to turn it over to David and let him give the other side of the coin. Hi, Jason. David here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, just out walking my dog, so excuse the car noises. Um, string up about the complexity in gaming episode, in particular that suppressive fire um, that caught my attention. Um, I think it makes sense for NPCs or for mass combat for suppressive fire to cause a morale check or um, penalty. But for PCs, I think the genuine threat is actually taking damage. So it should be treated as an environmental hazard. And in Dungeons and Dragons terms, that would mean if you pop up to take a shot or to move, then you need to make a saving throw or take damage. And then it'll be up to the DM to decide if a successful save was half damage or no damage. Hey, David, thank you so much for that call. And if we're playing more like a modern D&D where we're playing that heroic game, then, you know, we want that more sim cinematic style play where you don't want your player to be pinned down and they don't have that player agency. So it just depends 
on the player and the group and what you how you've agreed to play, I think. But I'm definitely open and interested in hearing more people's thoughts on different uh, suppressing fire mechanics and games. I will talk more about different ones in a future episode. But I'm going to let Sam end this call. So Sam sent me a pretty long message, about 10 minutes, on how he kind of loved Palladium's Recon and kind of fell out of love with it. And so I'm going to let him end the episode here. Before I turn it over to Sam, I want to thank all the callers. Great, great calls. I want to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music. I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. I want to thank Colin Green for the excellent, if you haven't heard your call, you know, watch for it in a future episode that we're going to hear after Sam's call. And I want to thank Ray Otis for the coffee cup clip art. Although today we're using the cover of a Palladium game because Sam kind of mentions this cover in his call. We're using the cover from Advanced Recon, which is, I think, a really great cover. So anyhow, I will be back on Sunday with a System Sunday. And next week we'll be back with more calls and more commentary. So be excellent to each other. And, well, I can't say play it again, Sam, can I? Take it away, Sam. I'd like to talk about Recon. Um, I loved Recon when I was when I was like 12 and 13, 14 years old. And um, I used to, to run a game... Um, Based on the on the comic book The Nam, which I was a big fan of at the time, and in the in the comic book, um, the original idea was that um, a, a character would would go through um, a tour of duty in real time. So, um, you know, twelve issues over twelve months that would be their tour. And I, I tried to do a similar thing with my game. Um, I tried to get the players through uh, 12, 12 missions. Um, so that, I don't think that ever happened. I think I think replacements would come in every every few months, and um, and uh, we never nobody ever got to the end of the tour because it was pretty pretty deadly. But um, I'm just looking at Recon again for the first time in years, and um, looking at the book, and um, yeah, I remember hating a lot of the artwork when I was in school. Some of the really bad um, uh, drawings with with inaccurate equipment, and I mean, I'm just looking at this drawing of a US team in a firefight, and and most of them look like they're wearing helmet liners, um, like they used to do in some of the old bad movies where they didn't have actual helmets, but they used to wear helmet liners, and um, and and a lot of their weapon is just just all wrong and weapons are drawn wonkily and I used to hate that um, but there's some really great artwork in, in here as well um, I always loved the cover of Advanced Recon that was cool um, my friend had that book I always wanted to have it um, I think it's a Kevin Long drawing um, but the cover of, uh, of Revised Recon is just terrible um, I, I'm not a big fan of, of Kevin Sambietta's um, artwork really. Some of it's not bad actually, but um, and some of the weapons are the weapon diagrams are nice. They they're quite well done. Probably um, 
probably traced from from Jane's or something like that, or from um, from a gun catalogue. Um, yeah, and um, <clears throat> basically, the combat system is terrible. I like. I always read the the miniatures rules because I wanted. I had all the one seventy second uh, SE uh, Vietnam figures, and I painted them up, and I had I had like a lot of stuff. Um, I ended up using a rule set called body count, but when I tried to adapt the use the recon rules, the one thing I couldn't get past was there was that everything was simultaneous and there's no turns. Um, I mean, there's a there's a line in here that says the mission director should work out an order of play or, or turns to avoid chaos during play, but I I thought that you know maybe they could give you a rule for that um, <clears throat> to determine who goes first because that I could never work that out. Um, and the system in the yeah in the actual RPG. Um, all the different situations. It's okay, but um, I mean, there's no difference between shooting a pistol and shooting a rifle, shooting a machine gun. Um, you have the same modifiers. The range doesn't seem to come into it in the RPG. Um, I mean, the one of the these weapon checks are a bit stupid. Um, one of the examples is. Is a character walking around in in combat, um, pulls out his pistol when he comes under fire, and he finds that the pistol is empty. I mean, a professional soldiers just not going to do that. Um, it's just a bit a bit stupid. Um, so I guess the recon combat system was pretty quick, which is good. Um good thing about it. Some um, the abstraction for me though these days is too much. Um I I'm looking currently at a at a system um called called uh, Delta Force and that has a another kind of um medium to large combat system where you're leading a unit of guys. Um, and I'm still reading, but it, it looks very interesting. Um, a little less abstracted than Recon. Um, I mean, Recon kind of, yeah, it's 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 almost too simplified. Like, um, your chance of being ambushed is based on your point man's detect ambush skill. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't uh, factor in um, how good the enemy is at laying an ambush. Um, I mean, you might be dealing with idiots who um, are talking and and smoking um, in their in their ambush positions, um, but you still have the same chance of detecting them as you would um, real professionals who are um, you know covered in um, covered in brush and and um, and look like walking trees, you know. Um, so yeah, I, 
I really do not like, like Recon. I'm not going to go back to it. I have I have the deluxe revised one I got a few years ago, um, and I chopped off the cover because it's so terrible. <laughs> I just hate the cover on the new one as well. Um, I've got and now the, my my cover page is the the black and white illustration by uh, Johnson, which I find much better. Um, <clears throat> another thing I didn't like about Recon is um, it, it it refused to use actual country names at times. I think in Deluxe Revised it might have used them, but it seemed to be a little bit um, a little bit um, cowardly to not use real. <laughs> Like they have people's NAM and um, they call the country NAM, not Vietnam, and um, and they'd um, <clears throat> they'd call USA stateside, which why why don't they just say USA? I never got that. Um, anyway, Jason, I just want to say um, yeah, thanks, man. You you really run like a a broad church and I think everyone everyone who calls in like um feels feels relaxed and they can they can uh, talk about whatever they want to. I really appreciate that. Um appreciate you playing my calls and, and um and you've you've forced me to, to reconsider my my style of play with um combat and to really um think about it and consider other people's ideas from the other calls you play. Um so thanks for all the callers as well. <clears throat> You've um yeah, you've really let me um go to another level in um in the philosophy behind the way I play by letting me reflect on it. And um and you're always so, so positive, man. Like Americans are um are good at being positive and, and uh you're definitely a positive American and uh and I always uh, appreciate that. Um, so thank you for writing your podcast and, um, I don't listen to every episode. I'm not into every topic you talk about, but a lot of it I am and, um, and I'll keep listening. So, um, yeah, thanks man. Take it easy. And remember folks, if you sent a call into Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. Joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could see him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. Is a dustman in your moil's body tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are arising and the world's gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck